Welcome to the QAV podcast. If you're brand new, I just want to introduce the podcast a little bit so you know what you're getting yourself into. If you've listened to the show before, feel free to just fast forward a minute or two. If you're brand new, here's the deal. Uh, my name's Cameron Riley. Tony Kynaston is an old friend of mine. He's a very successful share market investor. I'm talking very, very, very successful. He's been doing it 30 years. He's one of the best in the country in terms of a private investor. Very good uh, track record over 30 years. And what this podcast is about is Tony basically teaches me everything that he knows about investing in the stock market. And you get to listen. But if you're coming into this for the first time, you'll find that this episode, the current episodes, assume a certain level of prior knowledge. We assume that you know what we're talking about, his system, his methodology, which we explain in earlier episodes. So feel free to listen if you want to get the vibe for what's going on, but some of it's not going to make much sense unless you understand what the checklist is, etc. I recommend if you're brand new, you go back and listen to uh, Season 3, Episode 1, Episode 3 and Episode 5, where we go into Tony's background and his system and his methodology in a lot more detail. And then feel free to listen to the contemporary episodes, the current episodes. You'll understand more of the context of what we're talking about. With that, let's get into today's show. I promise I won't speak loudly. It'll just be nice even... <laughs> well, yeah. You don't shock No, that's uh, right. No uh, sudden well, starts. You've already uh, shocked me by taking out ETFs this week. <laughs> All right. Welcome to the QAV podcast. This is uh, episode 421. How are you, Tony? Good. Good. That's A little bit good. tired. I got up early to watch the PGA this morning, which was fantastic. The PGA Major Championship, Phil Mickelson at nearly 51 became the oldest person to win a major in golf. So it was historic. Didn't it was you really tell good. me a Japanese guy won it like a month ago? Yeah, that what was the that? Masters. This is the PGA. There's four oh. four majors per year. Right. Yeah. I thought you were going to say you got up to watch the Eurovision uh, finals <laughs> for a second. <laughs> no, well, a bit of controversy around that, though. So the, isn't the Italian guy, he uh, was – Photograph bending over his table and celebrating after the win, and now he's think they're thinking of disqualifying him. Why? Uh, you know, too much sherbet after the win, too much nose candy oh! after the win. Oh, <laughs> really? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> bending over the table that far, mm. right? He, he, oh, well. he, he yeah. claims he was picking up some broken glass after someone spilled a beer, but um, yeah. with his nose, with his nose. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, good stuff. Uh, well, congratulations to Phil Mickelson. Mm. Phil Mickelson? Is that his name? Phil Mickelson, yeah. How old is he? 50, almost 51. 50 years, 11 months. He's, he's so, young. So basically your age. Your age. Yeah, yeah. yeah. There you go. So how come you haven't won a major this year? <sighs> uh, I've been focusing on my chess game is what it is, yeah. I actually played Taylor to a draw yesterday, so I was happy with that. It's the first time he hasn't beaten me in ages. Well, that's good exercise, playing chess. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You're yeah. still getting heart problems if you don't get out there and exercise. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tony, Tony, Tony. <laughs> 
Tony's making a joke because my GP told me yesterday, okay, last week that I'm one hamburger away from uh, a major heart attack, so we were just talking about that off air. Well, there you go. That's a major. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to win that one anytime soon. Well, you do want to win it, yeah, but not, not, well, yeah, not, not having it. it. Mm. Yeah, thank you for that. And thank you to Stephen Mab for urging me a couple of weeks ago when we were eating huge steaks <laughs> at lunch to uh, go get my heart exam, go get a heart test. Glad I did. Uh, he said, he happened to call me just after I'd said the doctor and he said, oh, I saved your life. I said, well, not yet, you know. Yeah, you know, I don't know. See how it goes. Um, what's on the news this week, Tony? We sold MRC and added ATL. Mm. Let's start with that. You were happy Atlas. about that? Uh, not Atlas. Uh, Apollo. No, Apollo Tourism. Yeah. No, because uh, for people that uh, don't know the history, Apollo Tourism were the very first stock we ever bought back in the early days of the show. And uh, it tanked a month later, so we sold it, and then we bought it again a month later, <laughs> and then it tanked again two weeks later, and I said, we're never buying it again. It was a very inauspicious start to the QAV portfolio, and you you just laughed it off at the time. You were like, oh, well, you know, yeah, yep. you know, you get, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> <laughs> I said, we're never buying it again, and then last week we bought it again because... Yeah. You know, we listen to the numbers, I guess, right? Exactly. So uh, MRC dropped below its buy line. I think it may have actually, ris- oh, sorry, sell line. I think it may have come back a little bit, but anyway, it was um, it crossed its sell line. Uh, that was on the back of all that uh, kerfuffle with its CEO resigning or being asked to leave and the, the court issues around him. So the, the share price has certainly been in a downtrend. Uh, we went to the buy list um, at the time. GLE was at the top of the buy list. I think it still is today, uh, but it was too small for us to buy because uh, at the time I think it had about a nine hundred dollar average daily trade volume, and uh, or maybe just over that. Maybe it was like twelve hundred bucks. But um, we were we looked to buy something which is three times the, our, our purchase, and we were going to buy about $800 worth, I think, from memory, or $900 worth. So we skipped GLE, and next on the list was Apollo Tourism and Leisure, which is coming back. And it kind of makes sense. All the uh, all the car dealerships have come out of COVID really strongly, especially in since the last reporting season when uh, people are loosening the purse strings and, and buying cars. There was a bit of, bit of a no-go uh, last year, 2020, because of COVID. People just weren't updating their vehicles. And that's one of the problems that Apollo Tourism and Leisure had because a large part of their business is selling the sort of mobile homes that they also rent. Uh, And that came to a standstill. So that's probably thawing at the moment, which is the reason why it's turning up again. So it's at the top of the list and it's uh, showing some good sentiment. And so it's, uh, we bought it. We'll see. And that's up about 4% since we bought it. Good. So, but but down one and a half today. So. Speaking of things that are down today, uh, FMG is down oh. sort of four percent today. Really, it's no, dropped, dropped quite it. a bit recently. Still, no. you haven't uh, done any more thoughts on uh, commodity prices and sell lines and that sort of stuff in the last week. Well, I've been looking, looking, looking. Can't can't come to a definitive sort of general solution to all this. Uh, so the only thought I've had is to. 
Well, so I went back and had a look at the last time iron ore went through a super cycle and uh, it seemed like, uh, you know, if you, if you, if you traded on the normal um, five-year monthly three-point trend line graph, you'd still be holding for the skew through its last downturn and its uptown, which is not a bad thing, but you had, you know, probably 10 years of it doing nothing or even going backwards, which is not good, um, even though it's it's come on now. Uh, BHP and Rio, which are the other big iron ore miners, um, you would have sold out of. So the sort of only thing I'm thinking of is that you, in terms of these super cycle commodities, we might want to apply um, still use the five-year monthly graph, but if it's gone in a, if there's been an upturn in the last couple of years, maybe use two years to um, to do our sell lines. Uh, but yeah, I've got to do more research into that and see if that works in general, whether it's just going to help with Fortescue. Right. Okay. Mm. So you're still thinking about it. Yeah. Yep. And it's it's tricky. I can't. I just, it's hard to get a definitive answer that, that fits that one size fits all. It doesn't just fit iron ore, but it fits coal and copper and nickel and um, gold, all those kinds of things. I'm still looking. Okay. Uh, your other big shock to my heart in the last few days was taking ETFs out of QAV. Uh, yeah. What are you trying to do to me, Tony? And and other listed in, uh, listed uh, investment companies and, and listed funds. Oh, mm. look, um, I went back and did a fair bit of research after someone asked the question, last week about operating cash flow for ETFs. And uh, so I pulled out some ETF results and had a look at them. And generally, if it's um, if it's your vanilla-type ETF, in other words, it's not geared or it's, it doesn't, doesn't have overseas currency fluctuations, uh, generally the operating cash flow is negated by the financing or investing cash flows. Sorry, the investing cash flow. So basically what the operating cash flow is, is showing us is the receipts from customers who are buying into the ETF and then in the investing cash flows we're seeing the same amount going out of the out of the, the company and into buying underlying stocks for the ETF. So operating cash flow on ETFs um, didn't seem to make much sense as a way of, of valuing the ETF. A little bit of a different result for some of the other versions of ETFs and licks and um, managed funds. Uh, so I had a look at, for example, GGUS, which was one that we we had on our um, top scorers list last year, and there was a there was a disparity between operating cash flow and investing cash flow, which looked like it was probably going to be the the gearing and the currency movements, but I don't think neither of those are really a um, a way worthwhile way of, of valuing the company. So. Again, most of the operating, most of the cash flows were coming from people buying into the ETF and then that money being put to work buying the underlying um, stock. So I kind of agree with the person who's been, or well, there's been a few people asking questions about ETFs and whether it's a good way to buy them. And I've come to the view that we're basically just three point trading with them. So, you know, we're picking out the ETFs. Yes, they have positive cash flow. Sometimes they don't. If the, uh, so there's a timing issue with all this. Like if they have, um, if there's an overhang, if they've taken receipts from from customers, uh, and there may have been a big build up at the end, at the end of a month, and then into the next half, there's the deployment of that cash. You can see positive cash flow, um, and the reverse can happen. It can be negative if that kind of uh, buying and selling straddles an end of half. 
so it, it, to me it just came down to we're just basically trading based on the sentiment and that's not enough, I don't think, to, to – we, we could do that with any stock in the, on the share market and we get reasonable returns but they're not, we're not going to get sort of QAV size returns. So I decided to flick them on that basis. And then the other basis was that uh, if, if you looked at the um, some of the other things on the share market that invest like listed investment companies, yes, they have operating positive operating cash flow, uh, can be for the same reason um, as ETFs. In other words, they've raised funds from – from customers and they could just then be sitting on the cash waiting to redeploy it and they haven't gotten around to that yet, which which Licks have the luxury of doing. Um, but again, all it's saying is that they've raised money from from um, their, their clients. It's not saying that the business is underneath is doing well, although it can because uh, I guess clouding the issue is the fact that if the um, listed investment company as a company made a profit through its investments uh, or received dividends, then that can actually be a good thing for them. But again, uh, it's a, it's a fair bit of work to unpack all that, and it's also probably a, um, not the best way to invest in LICs, as we've seen in the past. It's, but you're better off buying an LIC when uh, the discount to its net tangible asset backing is you know sort of twenty percent plus. And uh, so, you know, I, I was happy enough taking in, um, licks out of the. The mix and that, and then there's also some um, listed investment companies which operate as companies almost. So they're kind of a, a hybrid in that they're um, they are investing, but they're kind of like a, a special vehicle to invest. And uh, there's a couple of companies on our top scorers list like that, uh, like Bentley Investments. And uh, again, you know, with the QAV process, we're looking to make nineteen and a half percent on average or double market. If we put, if we buy some of these other investment companies, we're really putting our faith in their investment mandate, and that kind of seems counterintuitive to me because if they're getting better than twenty percent, we should put all our money with them. But most of these companies, and I went back and and you know did a bit of back testing on these, um, most of the ETFs are getting index type returns, so they're you know they're underperforming in terms of QAV, and most of the uh, LICs and other investment vehicles charge a, you know some fees and therefore even if they are outperforming the index you're not getting a QAV type return so for all of those reasons I decided to pull uh, ETFs and investment vehicles out of the top scorers list just a couple of comments on that so if people are running their own filters they'll need to go in and take out unclassified as one of the one of the um, investment categories which you can see in the stock doctor filter and I sent through a screenshot which I think you shared to do that, that'll take out all the ETFs, but the LICs and some of the the investment companies uh, will need to be taken out manually because they're appearing as uh, in the category called diversified financials, and we can't exclude that one overall because um, there are companies on the top scorers list which operate as the diversified financial company. Uh, in other words, they're working in the financial space, but they're not a bank or something similar to a bank, but they're not also an investment company and we want those to stay in. So they're op- they're an operating company like uh, Eclipse and like, say, Hum, which went into the, bio- uh, the top scorers list recently. Uh, they're both operating companies, but they're classified as diver- diversified financials, um, just as some of the licks are. So unfortunately, until I can find a way of siphoning them off um, automatically, I had to go through and pull out a couple of those manually in the top scorers list um, today when I produce a new one.
So that's what uh, people will have to do for the time being is just yeah. uh, when you're doing your own list, you know, Tony's suggestion would be to, uh, before you invest in one of these, just uh, check to see if it's a falls into the lick type category. Yeah. And the way to do it is to, well, if you're a Stock Doctor subscriber, just go into Stock Doctor, enter the code, have a look at the company and see what it does. And if it looks like it's just purely an investment company, so it's an purely investing in a portfolio of underlying shares and it's a, it can be taken out. But if it's uh, an operating company, like there's some in there which are providing um, technology support to financial planners, for example, I'd leave those in. Right. And uh, for club members, you can if you, if you missed Tony's stock journals about this over the last day or so, you can go up to our website and uh, read that. <clears throat> Uh, and and have a look at his where he unchecks it and stop doctor and the screenshot and that kind of stuff. Yeah. Okay. Thanks, Tony. Um, <clears throat> you wanted to talk about late stage market commentary. Yeah. So uh, again, it's not something I pay a whole heap of attention to, but there is a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of discussion in the markets. A lot of uh, news articles now starting to have the feel of a late stage market. And the one that caught my attention last week, which I shared with you, was that uh, the ASX came out and said that there is a a record number of day traders entering the market, and they're calling that out as a concern. So that, if you recall, a couple of weeks ago when I was at Cape Shank, we talked about Colin Nicholson's three stages of the market when he was running buildings mm-hmm. wealth, building wealth through shares, and one mm-hmm. of the indicators of a late stage market was lots of day traders entering the market. So. I think we're getting closer to the top of the market. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I'll, I'll call top of the market when we see the next world's tallest building being built because that was always the classic that Colin Nicholson said to look out for. It's kind of a hubris <laughs> that comes about um, when the market gets uh, late stage that, uh, that you know, someone lashes out and builds an edifice to themselves somewhere, <laughs> often in Dubai or Kuala Lumpur or Singapore or someplace like that. But, yeah, it happens. Or London. Right. Uh, yeah, so that's something to watch out for. Again, it's it's a bit sort of apocryphal rather than being scientific, but it's um, it, it happens. But some of the other things that people have asked questions about is certainly out there in the market that the Schiller ratio, which is the 10-year Price to earnings ratio is is um, almost at record highs. I, I looked it up right. yesterday, and I think the Schiller ratio is something like thirty two, and the ten year average is twenty two. So it's it's fifty percent over. This time it's different, Tony. Yeah, it's always well, different, Tony. I, well, I think there's a certain amount to be said for the fact that the PE ratio is high because the interest rates are low. But of course, that's the other chatter that's coming into the market is inflation is starting to to rear its ugly head. And Warren Buffett talked about it. He was seeing it in the Berkshire Hathaway operating companies. There's been, again, um, any number of articles in the Fin Review over the last week about uh, shipping container costs are going up four or five times what they were compared to last year. So there are bottlenecks starting to appear in the economy. Now, some people are arguing they're short-term because of COVID, and that could be the case. But I think what's also happening, particularly in, say, the US and to a lesser extent Australia, is that... The government has printed money and given a lot of money to end users, to households, and we can see that in, in record household savings ratios in Australia. And that money is trying to be spent in, in both in Australia and America. A lot of that money is going into housing because people are 
uh, working from home and they're deciding that they need a bigger home to do that to, or to be more comfortable to do that. Uh, so the housing market is in, improving. And, you know, what we're seeing, though, James Hardy was a, is a big housing contractor, which is listed here but has most of its business in the US. They came out and said that they were finding it difficult to, to source materials to meet demand and therefore the price was going up. So there's starting to be what we would call a um, a supply side um, inflationary impact. So the money's in the economy. There's not a recession in terms of money, but it's becoming difficult and more expensive to 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 meet that demand. And and so I think we'll start to see inflation rise. And we've already seen afterpay come off forty or fifty percent last week. Um, you know, Bitcoin for what it's worth came off thirty or forty percent. So all those kinds of um, speculative investments which rely on low interest rates are starting to be wound back and uh, that's also a sign I think that we're, um, we are we will see inflation coming into the market. So as we've said before, all those things are, are nice to know and, and I guess I raise them now because um, I, no one can pick the top of the market. The market doesn't ring a bell when it gets to the top is the classic saying but I would be careful if I was out there with things like gearing. So... Uh, I wouldn't be taking out any more new gearing at the moment, and I'd be, you know, personally, my gearing levels are well, are well, well into the safe category. So I think, just on my shares alone, I'm about thirty percent geared, and across shares and property, so everything, I'm probably, you know, half that. Um, so probably about sort of eighteen to twenty percent geared, if that. Um, which is a very safe level of gearing. I won't be in, increasing that even if it becomes tempting to do so. And I also want people to be fully aware that if they have margin loans, for example, that when we get to this sort of situation in the market where we're getting close to the top, or and, and it might be years away before we hit the top, but it might be this year, uh, the market can fall and it can correct you know, 20 or 30% in one day. And I've lived through that before and it's very unsettling. And it's very unsettling if you've got margin loans, which then get called. Uh, that can be, you know, a great hazard to your wealth. So not mm. saying anyone should should pay that much attention to where the market is, except if you've got a geared exposure. And, and just make sure you're, you're feeling comfortable with that. And as I've said before, the our system took us through COVID. It'll take us through the next market correction, just like it's done for past market corrections. Uh unless we're, you know, being foolish with gearing, in which case we could get a wipeout. So be careful of that. And, of course, the market now, generally in its last year of a, of a late stage really goes up tremendously. Like in 2006, six seven, it went up something like 70% before it then corrected 20%. So you are better off staying in the market, and even though you'll, you'll wear that 20% correction, you've made a lot the year before to offset it. Mm-hmm. So that's generally what happens. Our market's up 30% roughly in the last 12 months, so it's certainly been a bullish year. I'd expect to see at least some sort of correction coming off that in the future. And, of course, our lawyers want to remind you that don't take anything Tony just said as financial advice. It's just Tony's opinion only and what he's doing. Hmm. Um, Yeah, speaking about gearing, I remember when I worked at Microsoft, like in the late 90s, uh, the Microsoft share price was still, you know, going through the roof and (laughs) a lot of my colleagues that had been there a lot longer than me were geared to the hilt on the basis of the uh, Hmm. Microsoft share price, you know, which they we all had, you know, stock options in the company, that kind of stuff going up, 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 up every year and as it had been since when it floated in 1986 or whatever it was. 
And then when the dot-com crash happened, guys were selling their jet skis and their <laughs> holiday homes and, you know, like <laughs> there was a yeah. lot of guys and girls that were uh, quickly yeah. undoing their lifestyle to pay their margin loans. Right. And QAV is about being able to sleep at night. So, you know, just don't get into that situation, even though it's tempting, even though the market's going up, even though the market's up 30% this year, so it makes it feel like it's going to keep going up forever. It won't. What did you say? Uh, No tree climbs to the sky or something like that? Yeah, no tree grows to the sky, exactly. Mm -hmm. Mm. All right. Uh, The wooden spoon for the week, Tony. Yeah. Yes, I'm, I'm going to call out the Victorian budget or, and the treasurer, Tim Pallas, for the wooden spoon. Uh, and it uh, doesn't have much to do with investing in the share market other than uh, I think, you know, Victoria is in danger of becoming the next Adelaide. Not there's anything wrong with Adelaide or, sorry, the next South Australia. But, um, you know, as I was growing up, South Australia had a vibrant manufacturing economy and slowly over the over the decades, one by one, they all closed down. And uh, it became a bit, Adelaide became a bit of a rust belt. It's kind of reinvigorated itself now with wineries and and sort of more of a lifestyle destination. It's a nice place to live, um, but it doesn't have much infrastructure to to support the economy. And Victoria's going the same way. Uh, you know, it used to have you know it used to manufacture Holdens at Fisherman's Bend and Fords in Geelong and Coburg, but they're they're all gone now. It, uh, it still has brown coal mining in. Um, the Gippsland Basin, but that's that will go away eventually because of the way that you know everything's moving in terms of uh, becoming you know better for the climate. Uh, and there's not much left in terms of manufacturing in Victoria if you take take away those two things. You know the federal government paid to prop up the refinery in Geelong, but you know that's only a sort of five year thing I think or a six year thing, so that could go away too. Then to raise in the budget uh, extra taxes on. Uh, in, in the in, specifically in the case of payroll tax, we'll see. We'll see. I could be wrong, but I wouldn't mind betting that some of the head offices in Melbourne will move to Sydney or to Brisbane or whatever. Especially now that working from home is becoming more of a thing, there's no need to have a a head office tower in Melbourne. Um, and if you're paying lots of an extra you know levy on your work uh, workers' compensation, if you're a big company, and I guess I'm going back to my experiences with Coles Meyer there, where that was one of Australia's biggest employers. If they can save, you know, whatever the levy is, 1% on its workers' compass bill, sorry, its workers' compensation. Uh, no, it's a payroll tax. I should get that correct. It's payroll tax. Uh, on a big workforce, it makes sense to move into a different state. So uh, it, that won't have much effect on the stock market, but I think it was a dumb move. But the Victorian government needs to raise money somehow. If they're not doing it through taxes, what are, what are their options? Yeah, well, it could um, could do what you and I do, Cam, and tighten its belt. I mean, if you have a look at the government in Victoria, it's grown topsy like topsy over the last few years. A lot of the problems they're having now are their own creation. I mean, there's a lot of a lot of my friends in Melbourne are arguing that they had a big lockdown, but that was caused by the the state government, and now this levy is being put in place to pay for mental health issues because of the lockdown. So, uh, you know, this. <laughs> The, the states, the states did a deal with with Peter Costello when he was treasurer to not do this to to phase out their reliance on their own taxes in favour of GST carves up carve ups, and that's been you know I mean there's always debate about whether states get get a good deal or a bad deal on the GST car GST carve up, 
But, uh, you know, they're given a big slab of money. They have to manage it. And if they, um, you know, if they run up debt, then they've got to pay it off. But, uh, you know, to, to add extra taxes is living, living outside their means and it will come back to haunt them, I think, when the economy starts to turn down because companies leave. And and how much of this was driven by COVID, their need to have more money? I mean, okay, leaving aside the lockdown, no one was really prepared for COVID. COVID would have taken a whack on revenues and taxation. Uh, yes and no. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure how it played out in Victoria. Some of the tax inputs went up because, um, like, one of the big tax inputs is um, stamp duty on houses, and there's been a lot of house price increases driven by COVID, so they've gotten extra revenue from that. Uh, but the, the, this extra levy on uh, on payroll taxes to fund mental health uh, support, and that's a good thing, but they are calling it out and saying it's because of the shutdown last year in Melbourne, um, oh. which wasn't experienced in other states. So none of, the, none of the other states yet are doing this with their budgets. Right. Well, anyway, okay. just, a, just a side. There's a price a to side. be paid for stop people from dying though too, right? Absolutely, yeah. So, like, it all take a pay cut to pay for it too, Cam. <laughs> or get rid of the upper house or have less councils or, like, you never see them dipping into their pocket to pay for this kind of stuff. Oh, easier, wow. the, easier the slug business. You can talk to EML about uh, taking pay cuts, Tony, <laughs> when things go down. <laughs> yeah. No one wants to take a pay cut when things no, are down, not, not even EML execs. Mm. Um, okay, moving right along. Uh, stock of the week, Tony. Yeah, stock of the week. I'm going to I'm going to say GLE, which is the top of our our top scorers list. Uh, just uh, call it up. The, and Wasn't the it the stock why, of the week last week? No, we didn't use GLE. We used something else last week. It's ECX last week. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just let me call it up. Uh, I just want to give it its right name. GLG group. Thank you. GLG uh, Retailing. Yeah, so it's a retailer, uh, GLG Corp. Um, I think, you know, without going into much about what the company does, which is to retail clothes, and uh, it's it's had, I think it's probably had a boost because of COVID, uh, but it's a couple of things to note with its results. So first of all, this is a very small company and it's averaged daily trade has actually gone up just recently because the share price has, but it's still only $1,500 a day. Uh, it's a it's a knitwear apparel company. Uh, just having a look at what products it offers, sleepwear, loungewear. Yeah, so it covers the range. Uh, but the important thing, I think, from a QAV perspective is that in, in its last results, the cash flow, operating cash flow went through the roof. So it went up from basically what uh Five million dollars in the June twenty half last year to forty three million dollars in the December half. Uh, a lot, and a lot of that has come about because of uh, increasing um, sales, and there was also a corresponding a slight decrease in the payments to suppliers. So that could be a timing issue, or it could be that they were getting better deals during COVID. Uh, and there was also another line item in there. With, there was an eight million dollar of uh, other operating cash flow coming in. I'm not sure what what that that is, but um, so I'm calling it out as um, top of our buy list because of that operating cash flow increase. But do have a bit of a warning flag on it because 
uh, with that kind of huge increase, I'd be interested to see what happens next half when we get the results but, out to see if it goes back to normal. But with its average daily trade, what do you say earlier is like $900 a day? It was when we first called it out as a top scorer, but it's now $1,500 because the share price has gone up. Right, but it's still pretty small based Very on small. your rule of thumb about you don't want to be buying more than a third of the average daily trade. Yeah. We, you know, no one's going to be able to buy more than uh, 500 six, bucks. four, 500 bucks of stock. So uh, is it really a good stock of the week if it's too small for anyone to buy? Uh, no, probably not. It's not going to appeal to um, a large part of our base, but I, I know we skipped it last week, so I just thought we should talk about it this week uh, because okay. it's on it's on top of the list, so we should acknowledge it at some stage. But just keep in mind that it's very small in terms of average daily yeah. trade. Well, that's the end of the free episode for this week. For the brand new folks, I want you to know that each week we have a free episode and a premium episode. Free episode runs about half an hour. Premium episode usually runs for an extra half hour to an hour, depending on how many questions we have from our audience that week, because we spend a lot of that time answering questions. Uh, If you want to check out the premium episodes, you can go up to our website, qavpodcast.com.au and sign up for the two-week free trial. You get to have a look at the uh, premium episodes. You get to have a look at the checklist, the getting started guide, all of the video content that we have. Uh, You get invited to our VIP dinners and our VIP Zoom calls for club members. You get to ask Tony questions that we can answer. You get to get invited to our uh, Facebook group, our private Facebook group, etc., etc. So, and also we get a, a private uh, club member newsletter each week we send out as well with some stuff in it. So check that out, qavpodcast.com.au. But as I said, if you're brand new and you want to, you're trying to figure out what's going on, go back and listen to season three, episodes one, three, and five, 301, 303, and 305. And then you might also want to go back and listen to season one as well, all of the free episodes in season one, where we go into a lot of detail about Tony's system and methodology and figure out if this is right for you, if it's something that you want to go further with, if you want to learn how to invest like Tony does, then you can check out the uh, QAV Club. Uh, The other thing I always have to say is we're not financial advisors, so don't take anything you hear on this as financial advice. This is just here to teach how one guy invests and thinks about investing. If you need financial advice or tax advice, please go see a financial advisor or a tax advisor. Uh, With that, stay safe, good luck with your investing, and we'll be back next week.